right, everybody, welcome back with, an, with another episode of BFI, Black Financial Initiative. We have a very special guest on today. Larry, who do we have? We got Jason Thornton, a.k.a. JT. Uh, JT is the owner of Thornton Advisor Group, named the best accountant by St. Louis Small Business Monthly, the number one Missouri financial advisor by top rated local. JT, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Gentlemen, thank you for the invitation. Yeah. All right, let's get this thing going, man. I'm on a hot seat. Let's go. <laughs> All right, good deal, good deal. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I see you have a CFP after your name. Yep. So uh, what is a certified financial planner and what was your educational background to obtain that? All right, so certified financial planner, the CFP is basically the CPA for accountants. The CFP is for financial advisor. It's the highest mark that you can achieve as far as education, experience, the toughest exam to prove to the world that you know what you know when it comes to working with clients and helping them meet their financial goals. In order to do that, you have to have a bachelor's degree education, bare minimum. You had to study financial planning in college. Then you had to pass an extremely hard exam. It's a six hour long exam over income tax, financial planning in general, estate planning, investments, retirement, all this stuff you have to be able to do within six hours. You pass that exam, then you have to also have at least three years of experience. And then you also have to uphold the ethics of the CFP board, basically saying you're not going to be a crook. You're going to make sure that you put your client's best interest first before your own. If you can do those four things, you can have CFP behind your name. Good deal. Was it, um, I heard you say like the, the educational background, the bachelor's, was it, mm. did you have to do something like accounting or finance or could you do, you know, well, like it, psychology yeah. and then take a financial course? You, you can, you can. My route, so I have an associate's degree in accounting. I have a bachelor's degree in marketing. Uh, but what you do is you can supplement your bachelor's degree with a post-college education in a CFP board registered program. So you have to, you know, be able to enroll in a financial planning program that is registered with the CFP board and approved that says, okay, you are learning the core curriculum of the CFP board. Then they'll let you sit for the CFP exam. I was able to do my CFP education through Howard University School of Business before I could sit for the CFP exam. All right. Nice. And you also mentioned in there the, the ethics part. So I'm sure we'll roll back into that in a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> but uh, you told us a little bit about how you got to where you're uh, doing what you do. But now can you tell us about what you do? So uh, tell us about the Thornton uh, Advisor Group. Sure. So the Thornton Advisor Group, it grew from uh, my original practice. When I originally graduated from college, I went to work for my family. My father is a small business owner, been a small business owner my whole life, right? So since the age of nine, I was really put in a position of a bookkeeper for the family business. And then I obviously, I grew up, went off to college, came back home, and then I was his personal financial advisor for his business, for his personal life. And then eventually what, what happened was my father got audited by the IRS, and he got hit with the tax bill that was like over $500,000. 
And it was my job to represent them before the IRS, a lot of back and forth at different hearings and stuff like that. But I ultimately got the whole thing settled for under $5,000. So obviously my parents are excited. They're telling all their friends and all their business uh, contacts. And eventually I had to hang my own shingle. I had to start my own business because so many people were coming to me for financial advice and tax planning and helping them out of uh, tax problems with the IRS. So I just, that's originally how it grew. And then it just kind of grew from there as far as financial advising, tax uh, representation, tax preparation. It just got so big that I could no longer only have my father as a client. Talk about a great reference. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 You can't. You can't beat that. You can't. Beat that. <laughs> yeah. you said uh, when you like about nine years old or so, mm-hmm. they were having you kind of run the books. I guess how instrumental do you think that was into? I guess kind of where you are today. I mean, it's huge. It shaped who I am. Now I want to be clear. It wasn't because I was super, super, super smart. I am in a family of many older brothers. It is a scrap metal recycling business. At the time when I was nine, I was the youngest. So I wasn't outside in the yard, you know, (laughs) in machinery and equipment doing all that. He had me in the office because what I believe it was just the safest place to have a nine-year-old boy. And, you know, if you're in a small business, then you understand that your family plays a role in your small business. Why? Well, you don't got to pay them all that much. You got all these sons. You don't have to pay them the same as you would have to pay a full grown man. So it also helps. So we all played a part in the business. It's just that my parents kind of chose me. Hey, you're going to be in the office. You're going to be dealing with this. And it just it shaped what my personality is, because my father taught me to do math quick in my head because I had to do math quick in my head to serve in the function of a bookkeeper. And that spilt over in the school all the way to the point where I got the highest uh, math grades in elementary school to the point where they couldn't, you know, they put an award on you and call you the math elite because I was able to do math so well. To me, it wasn't that big of a deal because I was used to it working with my father, but you know, to other students, it was like, it wasn't that big of a deal, but to me, you had to get it right. And that's how it translated. Well, even if it's indirectly, I think that's amazing that your family was able to help you, you know, as far as your financial education as a younger age. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah, it was huge. In the Black community. Yeah. Um, so we said all that to say you have a YouTube called Pocket Watching <laughs> with JT. Right. Um, some, some might think it's controversial, <laughs> you know? So, I don't know um, why. It's, it's, it's weird how, <laughs> how it came about. I don't see how it's controversial, but maybe that's just how my personality is. But I'll, I'll give you a little insight of how, how that all started. So obviously, I am a certified financial planner. I have clients who I work with, and we create a financial plan to help them meet their goals. We set a budget. We figure out what's the best tax plan to do, how much they should be investing, what they should be investing in, right? So that's kind of a picture of what a full financial plan is going to be. Then, because we live in a world of social media, my clients from time to time will see something online. They'll see something on Instagram. They'll see something on uh, TikTok or whatever. And they'll hit me up and they say, hey, JT, I just saw this thing on TikTok or Instagram. They'll uh, text it to me or they'll DM me. Can we do this? Can I add this to my financial plan? Because 
it looks really good. Well, nine times out of 10, it's not. Nine times out of 10, this information is, be, is being presented by someone who has no financial education whatsoever, or it's some sort of scam or some sort of hustle of how you can try to deduct your personal expenses as business expenses, or you can hide money here. It's all these weird off things that no reputable accountant or financial advisor would advise their clients to do. So pocket watching with JT kind of grew naturally from the fact that they were sending me this information. I would have to review who this person is. I would review their financial information that they were given, and then I would give a critique. I would explain to the client why this is bad information. And I was like, man, this would actually be good for other people because these clips are getting like thousands and thousands. And in some cases, millions of views. I've already did the research for my client. They already paid me, right? They they already paid me to do the research. Now, if I just cut on a camera and represent the information that I already did for my client, Now I can help other people too with the uh, YouTube channel. So it just kind of grew to pocket watching with JT, me reacting to what I see as bad financial information on social media. And it's a lot of it out there. So (laughs) I'm glad that it came, you know, to see how it came around organically. You know, there's you seeing and your, not even just you, but your customers or clients seeing Mm -hmm. how it's just out there and yeah and people fall for it and take the bait so it's, it's nice to see there's somebody out there you know trying to counter the the lies <laughs> with some truth well the, the, the here's the issue the issue is we are a part of a community of people who are striving to do better financially i'm a big proponent of that i champion that i'm the biggest cheerleader you can find when it comes to looking at people who are trying to better themselves financially. The issue is when you have a community of people who are striving to do better financially, but they are not financially literate, anyone who comes before them, as long as they have enough confidence in what they're saying. Now, if they're umming and aahing and they're looking around and they're looking shifty, eh, you probably won't follow what they're saying. But if they're coming, they're telling you, oh, and here's the great thing. If they have a whiteboard behind them with a magic marker, right? If they got a marker and a whiteboard behind them, <laughs> anything they say is legit. They got a whiteboard. You know, if they got a whiteboard and they start to throw numbers on the board, listen, they might as well have a PhD in business if it's the Black community. So I don't blame the victims the consumers of the information, because I feel as if they should be attempting and looking for more uh, information to help them financially. I blame the perpetrators, the people who want, they know they are not educated in any kind of accounting or finance to make any legitimate claim that they know what they're talking about. How do I know? Because they always hit you with the disclaimer, I'm not a financial planner, I'm not an accountant, I'm not a lawyer. They're doing all of these safe words and and things that make you say, okay, okay, you know, don't hold me accountable for the things that come out of my mouth. But then they proceed to give financial advice, all of these disclaimers. But then, all right, now I'm going to give you financial advice. So it's really just trying to bridge the gap between having a extremely ambitious group of people who want to do better 
and explaining to them why all of these shortcuts, all of these gems and things that people are telling online where it's not good information. And some of it is even fraudulent criminal information that can get you in trouble. And it's like, I'm in the middle and I can see how some people would be like, oh, well, you just hating. No, I'm not hating. I'm trying to keep you from committing a crime. But to them, it's like, oh, you're stopping me from getting a bag. And it's just me in the middle trying to explain to people, listen, regardless of how you feel about my tone and the way that I'm saying it, at the end of the day, you have someone who has dedicated a majority of my life to helping people do better financially. And then you have a bunch of people who just pop up as grifters trying to just get a bag real quick. That's the difference. That bag won't do you no good if you're in prison. Listen, they don't even understand how <laughs> there's a lot of these guys who are getting caught up, the PPP loans and all this stuff, who had millions of dollars, but they end up with a public defender because the government seizes all their assets. You can't even use that bag to get an attorney to help you get out of the mess that you put yourself into in the first place. So yeah, the bag isn't going to help you ultimately if you got it fraudulently. I know I sound like old school and just cranky and, uh, but listen, if you are trying to build wealth in this country, I don't know about other countries, right? I've, I've never been to some small village somewhere on another continent. I know the United States of America. If you are trying to build wealth in America, you can do it legitimately. You don't have to have shortcuts. You don't have to uh, live in a gray area. The main thing you're going to need is discipline. Are you going to be disciplined enough? Are you going to work hard, regardless if you're working for someone else or you're working for yourself? Are you going to enter into the marketplace and find some competitive advantage that makes your labor more valuable to the world than someone walking off the street. If you can do that and make sure you're not spending money on stuff that you don't need to impress people who you don't know and they don't even care about you at the end of the day, you can save, pay down debt, and invest your way into becoming a millionaire. But can you delay gratification in the short term to become wealthy in the long term? Most people, for whatever reason, refuse to do that. I don't know why, but they refuse to do it. They want the money now. They want to be a multimillionaire by 21. If they're not a multimillionaire by 21, they, they're a loser. They, they didn't achieve the potential that they're looking for. But ultimately, they end up dying with a negative net worth. So what's the point? And there is no point if you're doing it that way. And it's like you said, a lot of times, it's not always, but sometimes there's the people in social media where they they get that image, you know, somebody mm -hmm. that with the whiteboard behind them, like you said, that said, hey, by by 19, I, you know, I had a million bucks. This is how you can do it, too. Yeah. So they think. Man. And the thing is, it's 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 a fairy tale. Here, here, here's yeah. the other <laughs> side of it that's frustrating. You can buy your way into legitimacy when it comes to social media, right? There's this whole thing of podcast payola. 
a lot of people are trying to find their financial uh, literacy information from a podcast. I mean, a podcast can give you general good information that starts you on your way, but it's not the beginning and the end of your road of getting good financial information. It could be the beginning and it can help you throughout your way, but it shouldn't be the beginning and end. But for some reason, I community, as long as you watch a, a podcast once a week, you have a millionaire mindset. The issue is, the issue comes from you can buy your way into these large uh, podcast platforms. A podcast with a million subscribers or whatever, You, if you give them a bag, it's documented. If you give them enough money, they will invite you. Well, not invite you. They will let you on their show. They won't mention that you paid your way there, but they'll let you on the show. They'll let you sell whatever it is that you're selling. And then at the end of the day, not only did you give them money on the front end, but if you're selling a course for like $3,000, they'll take 20, 30, 40, and sometimes I heard 50% of the sales of the course that you did on that show. So for me, professionally, that's a conflict of interest. If I was to advise a client, you should do X with your money, or you should buy this. And I don't also disclose, listen, I'm making money off the fact of you buying that. I could lose my license. I, th- th- I am within this world of actual regulation. But these people who operate as financial gurus online and they sell all these uh, millionaire boot camp courses, it doesn't matter. They'll give the podcast some money to get on the show. And they also say for every person who buys a, a course using your code, you can get $1,000. So to me, that's where you're crossing the line of trying to provide good financial information in an entertaining way, which isn't easy. It's not easy to provide education and entertainment in a way where people will actually view your content. But you're crossing the line from doing that to actually being predatory to your audience. Your audience is unaware of the financial relationship between you and the guests of the show. Because I can tell anybody watching right now, I did not pay to be here. I have never paid to be on anybody's show, podcast, or whatever. I have even been offered an opportunity to pay my way onto someone's show, and I told them, no, thank you. Because it's just, to me, it's, it's, it's scammy. It makes me feel unethical to buy my way in. If you don't want me here based on the content that I'm able to provide, well, then we'll see how we go down the road. And you said a lot of good stuff uh, going all the way back to the discipline. I definitely agree with you mm-hmm. there. I think discipline is a huge part of it. Yeah. Um, also had a question about, you know, you were saying as far as like, you don't know why people would want to do it. Do you like, do you think the American mindset is the have it now, I guess, mentality, like it's oh. put into shows and everything else of like, I need it right now, right now, right now. We live in a culture that is blow money fast songs, videos, social media, (laughs) everything is promoting to buy or get what you want right now, regardless of how you have to get it, right? Mm -hmm. Get it now. You never know what may happen tomorrow. Have fun now. Go, 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 go. But the question is, okay, well, who controls this culture, right? Do we control it? 
or do outside forces control it? Because if we control it, we have to point the finger at us, right? What are we consuming? What are we promoting that is telling us to be irresponsible with our money? Because that's what we're doing on both ends. Not only are we financially supporting a message of being irresponsible with money, we are then following that message by being irresponsible with our money. We could, if we wanted to as a culture, immediately change the narrative with how we vote with our dollars and our eyeballs. If you are not watching this content that is promoting irresponsible financial behavior, they will get no views. They will not get any type of sponsorships or ad revenue. So they will shift what they present. The question is, do you really want the things that you say that you want? It's like a girl who complains about the type of guy that is always attracted to them. Well, if you gave the bad boy, the baby daddy type of guy, no attention, then your reputation would dictate the type of guy who would start approaching you. Oh man, don't mess with her. She don't she don't deal with guys who got babies. She don't deal with guys who hustle. She only deals with guys who got good jobs and you know. You gonna hurt some feelings. Hey, it, 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 oh yeah, he already. <laughs> I see left hook right to the cut. He heard him out there. Hey, I, I'll say this. One of the biggest issues that we have with whatever so-called leadership that we have in our community is that they care too much about the applause from the audience. They care way too much about how the message that they give is received rather than if the message that they are giving is actually being heard. See, I care nothing about the way people receive my message. I look at some of the comments that people put on uh, my YouTube videos. And I just sit back and laugh at the frustration and how mad people are and da-da-da-da. I'm like, listen, man, if I cared anything about what you actually applaud and what you like, look at what you like. You like rappers who will use the N-word a hundred times in three minutes. Mm -hmm. People who will use the B-word about their, their so-called queens, right? They're supposed to be Nubian queens, but they'll mm -hmm. call them B-words a hundred times in a song. Not only guys cheering this on and loving it, girls cheering it on and loving it. So if you're snapping your fingers and dancing and applauding that, why do you think I care if you applaud me? To me, your applause is more of an insult than actually promoting my content. I want you to be mad. The person who loves the filth of our culture, I want you to hate what I'm saying because what I'm doing, I'm dropping seeds. See, I'm not a country boy, but I got a father who, who, who had more experience in this world than I did. And I can tell you this, a true man who drops seeds is not looking for a tree to be there five minutes after. A true man who drops seeds know that work has to be done after you drop. Dropping the seed is the first step. Yeah, you drop the seed, but are you cultivating the ground? Are you watering it? Are you making sure it's getting the right sunlight? See, in time, that seed will actually grow into what you are trying to get to. But if you're so frustrated that a tree doesn't pop up five seconds after you drop the seed, you missed the assignment. You don't know what you're trying to do. I know my assignment. 
I understand the message that I'm giving. I understand that the financial stuff that I'm giving and the fiscal conservative talk that I'm giving isn't something that my community right now wants to hear. But I'm Johnny Appleseed. I'm dropping seeds all around this country with my 60,000 subscribers. And down the road, I will see trees. I'm not worried about, yeah, brother, yeah, 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 no, no, no. Some people go as far as call me a coon. But the person who would call me a coon today, five years down the road, they say, you know what? I listened to that brother kind of change some of the stuff that I did with my money and it helped me out. Cause I don't give a damn what you're saying now. You still in the filth of this culture right now. You can't even see me. You're in a haze, you're in a fog right now, brother. I can't even complain about your mindset right now because you are focused on all of the flash and the trash of financial experts who tell you, you can be a millionaire. All you gotta do is buy my course. All you gotta do is do what I did. So you are so lost in the sauce of the BS that you're feeding right now that I care nothing about how you react to my content now see me in five years then we'll have a conversation man it sounded Ooh. like he was a preacher there for a little bit I know, right? <laughs> well, hey, hey i, I told you you took it back boy. Yeah. yeah i was like what yeah, tabernacle my father says i get passionate about it and he understands why i get passionate about it. if it man, listen i will always tell people that i hit the lottery when it comes to the parents that i have my father made someone who would be passionate about numbers. Because honestly, I'm telling you, that nine-year-old boy who started out as a bookkeeper, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do the stuff that my older brothers was doing. Because in my mindset, they were actually more helpful to my father. The ones who are in the machinery, the ones who were working in the yard, I felt as if their role in the company was more important. And if it was more important, then that means my father respected them more. I saw what I was doing as more busy work. Then as I got older, my father explained to me that what I was doing was some of the most important work that needed to be done in the business. Working with the money and being able to give him accurate financial information so that he can make business decisions so that the business could grow. He explained to me that was some of the most important stuff to be done. And in my mind, it's like he made me into someone who would care so much about the numbers because ultimately that's what makes a business grow. That's what it makes a person's personal financial situation and net worth grow better. So, you know, he always says that, you know, yeah, JT is passionate about this because that's the way I made him. So you got what you got. You know, if you don't like this, you know, you can blame my father because that's what he made. Hey, man, sounds like your father put you on game. That's, that's right. what I got from it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So for uh, other people out there that weren't put on game and, mm -hmm. and like you said, some people are lost in the in the haze and the fog and fall for these scams and stuff. What are right. some of the biggest scams you've seen and how can people avoid those and be on the lookout for? All right. So there's different categories, right? The very first thing you have to understand is if you're dealing with someone who is claiming that they are going to help you financially, there's a difference between the guru who is going to offer you lessons in how to build wealth. Then there's the person who goes the 
of the, the next step and says, they are going to actually help you invest your money to help you build wealth, right? Both aren't good guys to me, but one's a little bit more dangerous than the other, but I'll explain why. First, let's talk about the, the course selling guru. The course selling guru is going to give you this backstory about how they were able to make money and how you too can make money with the system that they got. All you have to do is buy their course. Understand that is not how business works. See, when you have a competitive advantage in the marketplace, you do not then sell that competitive advantage to other people because you would be creating competition for yourself. So that's red flag number one. Why would anyone teach you the secrets of how they're able to get rich? Because you will pop up as competition to them. So anytime someone's telling you, oh, I can get you to do this, that, or other, it's probably BS that no longer works anymore. That's why they're selling it. And then you also got to look at the price. Why are they coming to you and selling you a multi-million dollar business education for a $1,000? <laughs> like the numbers just don't add up. So there's the fake guru who's selling courses. The one that you really need to uh, pay attention to and watch out for, though, is the fake guru who actually has the investment opportunity. This one will milk you dry. I mean, $1,000, $2,000 in a course, yeah, I mean, you might get it on that sales funnel where you're buying a course every other year. Sooner or later, that person wakes up. But the person who comes to you and say, listen, I know how to make money. Give me your money so I can make you some money too. That's the person you got to watch because when they come, they don't come for one or $2,000. They come for your entire bag. And the first thing you have to ask yourself the question is, why are they coming to you? Why are they coming to you? In the world of investing, it makes more sense for me as a certified financial planner. If I was the type of person who invested people money, I don't take my client's money. My client's money normally goes to a third party, bigger institution. They never write me a check for their investment. They only write me a check for my services. But let's say I was that type of person. I would not go to someone with an extremely low net worth. I wouldn't be going to someone who whole life savings is $3,500, right? Because it makes more sense for me to go to millionaires and deal with three or four accounts of millionaires than go around and get hundreds and hundreds of people who only have maybe a couple thousand dollars to their name. That is a red flag. There's no reason why you would ever invest your money with someone who's going after little bitty small accounts. It's dumb. Then just check the credentials, people. Never give anybody any money to invest for you. If you can't check with the SEC, the SEC is going to regulate investment advisors. You can go to the SEC's website, plug their name in there. You can see if they have any bad history or if they're even licensed in the first place. Or you can go to FINRA, you can go to brokercheck.org and you can see if this person is actually licensed to sell you any kind of stock, bond, mutual fund. Check and see if they're licensed. If they are not licensed, no, do not give them any money. That seems simple enough right there. I mean, basically, uh, like you said, if they don't have the credentials, 
Mm-hmm. They probably don't know what they're talking about. And uh, you really hit home. And I mean, it makes sense. I never looked at it that way. But if someone is uh, fishing for a lot of the small fish, um, it's probably something weird going on there. Yeah. I, I want to touch on why, even though that sounds simple, why people still fall victim. <laughs> they still fall victim because your money and the way that we have a relationship with money is not just logical. See, if we had a logical relationship with money, for the most part, I I don't even think my job would exist if people use their money logically. See, we use our money emotionally, right? Money is something that we use largely in our community to help us get through our emotional problems, right? A lot of people have identity crisis that they don't want to talk about. A lot of people, a lot of people have identity crisis and they have no idea what I'm talking about. What I mean is they don't know who they are. They can be 18 years old or 82 years old. They don't know who they are. They're searching and looking for something to make them feel important in the world. And how do they do it for the most part? the way they spend their money. So instead of doing the things that like my father's generation or my grandfather's generation did to make a name for yourself, to create an identity, to find value, what do we do? Well, I'll get a fancy car. See, if I get a fancy car, that means I'm important, right? Let me pull up in the charger sitting on 22s and everyone knows that I'm important. I can't be important pulling up in a Honda Civic, right? I mean, who who would take me seriously if I pull up in a Honda Civic that's paid for? No, I'm going to get go into debt so I can pull up on a Dodge Charger sitting on 22s. Now I'm important. But when I go home, I'm dealing with the stress of how am I going to make this car note payment? This car note payment may be between $800 and $1,200 a month. I only make $35,000 to $45,000 a year, and I'm already in debt with all the other BS that I spend my money on, once again, in an attempt to impress other people who do not care anything about me in reality. They own, the only gratification I get is when I pull up to the club, people look and they give me the head nod, and they say, oh, nice. How long does that last? 15 minutes. Because yeah, when, you, when you're in the club, they don't they don't know anymore, right? It's only <laughs> that little bit of parking lot pimping that you did, right? And so you're talking about what, seven and a half minutes when you pull up, about seven and a half minutes when you pull away. <laughs> so you're talking about a good, a total of 15 minutes that you spent soaking in the glory of all the debt that you put yourself into to impress people that in two days will forget everything about you. But you go home and you live with the debt that you put yourself into. That's a problem. Once again, there is an identity crisis that goes on in our community. That's a mental health issue that needs to be addressed. All the money that we're pushing on buying fancy stuff. Imagine a woman who lives in section eight housing food stamps, but she has a Gucci bag. (laughs) Why? 
What what image are you trying to portray? Are you trying to portray to me that you have the same net worth of a middle-aged to older white woman? Because you don't. Because you think you're walking around with the same type of bag that some white woman who has a multi-million dollar net worth, you think that now you have the same value in this world that she, no. And the thing is, they know they don't. They know they don't. Inside, right here in that core, they know when they're in the quietness of their uh, self, not when they're in the party and they're putting on the clown face as if they're living the best life that they are. No, no, no. I'm talking about when they take off all their costume and they have to sit in the quietness of being by themselves, they know that they're fake. They know that they are an imposter. So where do you go? What do you do? It's like a person who is overweight, but they console themselves by eating. It's an endless cycle of consumerism, of buying to make yourself feel better about the bad decision of what you just bought two days ago. You end up in debt. You end up in an arms race on social media. One person pulls up in a, you know, a Dodge uh, Challenger. And then the next person has to pull up in a BMW. Then the next person has to pull up in a Lambo. The next person's got to pull up in a Phantom. All of it's leased. All of it is a depreciating asset that is making them no money whatsoever. But we are competing against each other to show off the fake wealth that we really don't have. That here's the worst part. All of this consumerism never fills the hole that's inside. They never feel fulfilled. Never. Maybe that moment when they're showing off in front of their friends, they feel kind of good about their financial choice. But once again, that's only a few moments. They have to actually live 24-7 with all the BS that they have to deal with. How do we change that? We have to have leaders in the right place who are willing to shame this type of behavior. But they have to also realize they will not be supported financially by these same people who you're shaming. You can't shame a person in their bad behavior and then expect them to throw money in the collection plate. I expect them to actually support what you're doing. See, that's why I'm glad when I got on YouTube, man, I already made my money. I don't depend on this. So I care nothing about the reaction of the people who watch my content. You don't make me money. I'm giving you what I feel is it is a mission for me. This is a mission. Pocket watching with JT has become a mission of mine. So I do not care how people react. I do not care how if I'm hurting their feelings. If what I'm saying is accurate and right, you have to eat that. And like I said, I'm dropping seeds. Three, four, five years down the road, they'll get it. Or they won't, and they'll die with a negative net worth. And you'll just be in the same place where I found you. So there is no difference. Yeah, and you probably have hurt some feelings with some of your videos you've made. <laughs> Oh, he's, he's heard feelings in this one. <laughs> <laughs> and and honestly, on the on the Instagram, some of the videos, you don't even say anything. You just let them talk. You'll let the people, the scammers talk. You don't say anything. <laughs> those, those are the best ones. The ones where all I have to do is just replay the information that they're presenting and just say, what? 
Just let's let's listen to this. Just, just listen to this. And people get it. See, they wouldn't get it if they watched by itself. If they just watched it on the fake guru's uh, channel, they would be like, yeah, this sounds good. But just with me just saying, listen to what they're saying. People get it. And that's why I know in the long term, the message that I'm giving out will penetrate a good number of people. But you're always going to have people who uh, aren't going to get with the program. But here's the issue, again, with the generation that we're dealing with. There is a thing and a concept of competition. See, I'm, I'm, I turned 39 this year. So I remember a world of winners and losers. It was a reality. Everyone did not get a participation trophy at first. I remember when that stuff started happening. When I would look around and be like, hold on, now, hold on. I, I really didn't do anything here. Don't, you know, don't give me the I showed up award. <laughs> that, that don't quite make sense to me. Because when I win, I want to be able to show off the fact that I won. Don't give me the I showed up award now. Because I want to be able to show off when I win. So we live in a world and we have a community that for whatever reason feels as if there should be no losers. No one should lose. No one should feel bad about losing we used to have a community that fought for an opportunity in this country so that everybody has the same shot the same opportunity now we have a community that for whatever reason they want the same outcome like now play that's not you, you don't get the same outcome you can have the same opportunity it's like a race. Everybody gets to line up at the same line. If you have to line up about two blocks behind me, that's unfair. You should protest about having to line up two blocks behind me before the race starts. But when we're all at the same line, when the race starts, and I just so happen to get to the finish line before you, don't start crying to the referee. No, 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 no. We had the same opportunity. We're not going to have the same outcome. There's different levels of success. One of the greatest um, quotes that I always tell myself and I tell my kids, I talk about how comparison is the thief of joy. You could be happy with what you got in isolation. But the second you start to look around and see what other people got, First, you'll see the people who have less than you. And then now you feel even better. Because at first you felt good. But then when you look around and see what someone else doesn't have, now you feel even better. But you're not happy with that. You've got to go even further. And you start looking around for others and others. And now you start to see you, you don't have the biggest slice of the pie. There's people who actually had more than you. So instead of being content with the best that you can do, now you feel bad because there are others who have more. And now the victimhood starts to come into you and say, well, why do they have more than me? I want it just as much as they want it. So why can't we all just have the same amount? Well, you didn't do the work that they did. Well, they got something from their parents. Well, your parents didn't do the work that their parents did. When, it, when you boil it down... <laughs> Someone did more work than someone else at some point. 
You cannot complain about outcomes. You should only be focused on opportunities. But as long as you think that there should be no winners and no losers and everybody should kind of have the same amount of stuff just because you're alive, right? You have the existence award. I exist, therefore I should have. That is not real, man. We live in a world of competition. That's why I love being a, a someone who's self-employed. I eat what I kill. I'm not an animal in the zoo being fed by the zookeeper. I'm in the jungle. I'm a predator. I go out here. I find work. I deal what I got to deal with with that work. And I bring it back home to my family. And we're able to prosper like that. That's the type of world that we're in. Everybody wants to be a domesticated cat. But remember, when it comes time to get your pets sprayed and neutered, you're in that number. So stop complaining about what you get when you're a domesticated cat. You get what your master gives you. I'm a small government person. I'm the type of person where the government should be in like the referee in a good game. In a good game, you barely even see the referee unless something crazy happened and he's got to come in and set the record straight based on the rules that we all agreed on in the beginning of the game. Don't change the rules while we're playing. If we agree to a set of rules, I want the referee to enforce the rules that we agreed to. But in a good game, you barely hear from them, right? You got people who want the referee to help them win. Shot doesn't go in, they look at the referee like, yeah, I was fouled. Ah, he barely touched. No, see, that's the type of world that we have. And that type of mindset is translated through our culture into our pocketbooks. And we're wondering why there's still a wealth gap. The wealth gap is maintained by the way that we spend our money. If we would change the way that we spend our money, if we change the way we think about how to build wealth, you will see a difference. But what we have is a system in place where so-called leaders have made themselves multimillionaires off of what? What product do they produce? What service do they produce? Would you be surprised that Al Sharpton has a multi-million dollar network? The question is, what does he do? What service does he provide? What product does he provide? that the average person on the street would say, I think he should be worth at least a million dollars. I'm unaware. If someone could clue me in, I'd appreciate it. But I don't know what product or service he provides that would actually demand from a regular marketplace that he should be worth a million dollars. I don't get it. I don't know what it is either, but I I bet he does have that. Multi-million. Man. Easily. Easily. So, uh, Man, oh, man, what a great episode. That was part one. Part two comes out in two weeks. JT can be found at pocketwatcher.net, or you can find him at YouTube on Pocket Watching with JT. Thank you. Bye.